The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. We, uh, we have a uh, special treat today. I want to ask Charles if he would go ahead and make his way up to me. Where, where did Charles go? There he is. Uh, Charles, if, if you can go ahead and come up here. Charles um, has been diagnosed with cancer, and uh, he continues to come. He told me early on when he received a diagnosis that didn't know what the future held but wanted his life to count. Well, you know, you know what the future held, but you didn't know exactly temporarily what, what it held. But he wanted his life to bring glory to God. And, you know, that's easy. That's not easy to say, but it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing for him to continue to come and for me to preach and talk about the joy of the Lord not being dependent on circumstances, but, but being constant through whatever comes our way. And to hear him say, sitting right over there, amen, in the middle of what he's going through, to me said he needs an opportunity to give witness and give testimony to God. And so I just want you to share whatever you'd like to share with us this morning, Charles. Thank you. Happy Father's Day. It's great to be here. And uh, I'll ask you a question. Are you happy in the Lord this morning? Mm-hmm. That's pretty pitiful, I think. Are you happy in the Lord this morning? Yes. Amen. I am too. Happy in the Lord. We don't get, we're not happy a lot of times in circumstances of life and what comes our way. We're not happy sometimes with the path that God has chosen for us to walk. But the one thing that I've found out is he, if he chooses a path for us to walk down, he goes with us. He goes before us. He follows after us. He's on the left. He's on the right. He is there, and he'll always be there. And that's why I can say glory to God for everything that comes into life. We don't like it, and that's okay. He didn't say we had to like it. I was taking um, this radiation stuff we just went through. I told uh, the nurse there at Take Nation, I said, I don't like this. That's what she said. You don't have to like it. You just have to do it. There's a lot of comfort in those words, you know. But I found out something that we can do is to trust God. And let everything bring glory to him. And we do glorify him this morning. I know this morning without a shadow of a doubt, no doubts whatsoever, that I am saved. That whatever comes my way, whatever comes my way, no circumstance in life, Nothing in life can ever take that away. I have eternal life in Jesus Christ. He has washed me. He's made me clean. And I praise him for that this morning. And I thank him for that. And I'm trusting him for healing in my life. He can do that, you know. Sometimes we look at different circumstances and say, well, this is, you know, God can handle this. But brain cancer? I don't know. But you know, my God can do anything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And I know this morning that whatever God has, I want it to bring glory to him. And whatever happens, I want it to bring glory to him. I want my family to see, I want my children, my grandchildren to see that dad has faith in God. And nothing, nothing will ever take that away. When they walked into the room, the doctor came in that day and said that there's a tumor growing on your brain and whatever, you know. I looked at Kathy and said, I love the Lord. And nothing will ever change that. Nothing. It doesn't make any difference what happens. Nothing will ever change that. I've learned to trust him. One of the things that 
teaches us, and there's a lot of little miracles that we're not going to get into this morning, that things that are bringing glory to God and helping us to see that God is still with us. Well, one of the things that Kathy used to do, and she still does, if you walk across the parking lot or down the sidewalk and there's a penny laying on the ground, she'll always bend over and pick it up. We were walking one day, and she'd been over and pick it up. I always thought, you know, that's a lot of trouble for a penny. Been way down there. You know, it's a good five foot, two inches down there. And I just didn't want to, you know, bend over that far. But she did. She said, you know why I do that? I said, why? Because it says on there, in God we trust. And it's a reminder to me that we can trust God. Wow. So every time I see a penny now, I pick it up. <laughs> you know, in God we trust. One day we were at the Gibbs Cancer Center, and it was just before we were supposed to start our chemo. We were taking it by mouth. It was a pill, and it's very, very expensive. We were supposed to get help in paying for it. And the lady that was supposed to get us the help hadn't done it yet. And we, Kathy had made phone calls, and it was getting close to the time we were supposed to start. We didn't have the pills and all this kind of stuff. We didn't have the money to get the pills. And we went down there that day, and the, they said, we don't know where she is. She's not in her office today. And all, so on and so forth. And we were kind of down. And so we went over to the waiting room. And we sat down in the chair. And I was sit, as I sat down, I looked down. And under the chair in front of me, there was a penny. And I reached over and picked it up. Sure enough, in God we trust. And that's what we've been doing ever since. It's just trusting him. And I want everything in life to bring glory and honor to him. And I want to tell you this morning, church, I want to say to you now it's thank for the opportunity to say thank you for all the cards that came in Kathy would go out to the mailbox she'd bring she said I got another weepy card because every time I got one I'd, tears would run I said people don't only I don't even think anybody even really knew who I was yet they take a time to send the card and I thank you for that keep praying we've gone through round one and we're done well amaze the doctors We've got some more to go. If you'll keep praying, I know that God will answer prayer. Keep praying. Keep trusting in him. Keep believing for me as we do. And I know that everything's going to be what he wants. Maybe not what we want, but it'll be what he wants. And God will receive the glory. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Charles, stay right here. Stay right here. Kathy, will you come up here? Kathy didn't know she was going to come up here. She may be mad at me right now. I don't know. But uh, I want us just to take some time in our service and pray for them. Uh, Is that okay? Uh, I want you just to join with me right now as we kind of surround Charles and Kathy, and let's just pray uh, for God to be glorified. And, and for amazing things. So let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And God, we love you because you indeed first loved us. And Lord, I thank you for the faith, Lord, that I see in Charles and Kathy. And God, I just pray, Lord, that, uh, that, one, that, that, uh, that, that in us, that we might experience the same type of faith, that what we see in him and, and Kathy might spur us on also to deeper, stronger faith. 
that uh, just as that reminder on the penny, and God we trust, Lord, that they would be that penny to us this morning, that no matter what comes our way, we can trust in you. And Lord, we know that you are indeed all-powerful, that you are capable of doing anything, that the Bible says that there is nothing that is impossible with you. Lord, you're the one who caused uh, a little virgin teenage girl to conceive the Son of God. And, uh, Lord, so many other miraculous things throughout biblical history, throughout history. And so, Lord, this is just one more that we're asking for. God, we pray and ask because you've, you've instructed us to that you would heal Charles. God, that you would just break up and eradicate that tumor that's in his brain. Lord, would you shrink it to nothing God, as it is, we live in a world that has effects of sin all around us. It's fallen, and there is, there's all sorts of things that come out of that, sickness and disease and death. But, God, none of it has the final word. Lord, you are all-powerful, and we ask you, God, to bring healing. Lord, beyond everything else, Lord, I pray that you would glorify yourself in this. God, that through, through whatever you choose to bring about, God, that you, your name might be seen as great, that people might deeply worship you because of how this is handled in Charles and Kathy and the family, and, and God, that you might be glorified. Lord, we love you, and we know that we can trust you, and so, God, we just trust them to your care right now, knowing that you are good in all things. I just want to end, Lord, this prayer with his words he loves you, and there's nothing that can change that. And, Lord, that's evidence of your hand on him. And, God, I pray that that would be our testimony as well. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of James. James chapter 1. We'll continue in our series this morning as we walk through the book of James. And, uh, again, just want to go back and... and um, just thank Charles. I was thinking as, I, as we were singing those songs that, uh, you know, none of us know uh, what the future really kind of will, will entail for us as we live our lives. But I can tell you this much. Hearing you that first day, when I, when I called you and then I came over to the house and talked with you, and, and hearing you again say um, that you love the Lord and nothing can ever change that, I, I got to tell you, that's one of those sort of just indelible moments that will be burned on me. Because, and I don't know. I don't know what may come my way in the future. But i got to tell you, I think I will go back to that time and time again. So you have been testimony to me, and I thank you for that. Um, well, we come to this text, chapter 1, verse 22 through 25, and this is the part of the book that led me to, to want to preach through this book. Uh, verse 22, really. Um, be doers of the word. And I got to tell you, I, I didn't want to do it simply because I liked this verse. Uh, and that's, I, I do like this verse. Um, I, when I was a youth minister early on, Len and I were just barely married and, and taking groups to, to camp and things like that. And this was one of our first summers at youth camp. And um, we, had a, we had a pastor that week, Dean Hahn, who preached from, from James, went through the book of James. And from that moment, that just kind of fell in love with this. But that's not the reason I wanted to preach this. Uh, I wanted to preach this because uh, now being your pastor for uh, almost five years, 
Uh, I see in us a lot of great things, and I'm encouraged in so many ways. Uh, It's a privilege to be your pastor. I love it. Uh, I love what we're becoming. I love what God's doing here. Uh, I look around and I see that there is indeed a hunger for the Word. I see that there is a a health that is developing. But i got to be honest with you. One of the things that discourages me, um, if, if I can get down, is when I look out and I see people that are really ready to receive the Word, but con- completely content to do nothing with it, and, and apathetic. And I don't, I don't mean to throw stones and point fingers and make you feel like you're doing nothing with the Word of God, but I've got to tell you, as your pastor, I do see some complacency. I see some contentment to sit, to soak, but I don't see a whole lot of urgency to go and to do. And, and this is what moved me, I think, to, to preach this book to you. So today I just want to tell you that uh, I'm going to say some things. I have nine points today, and I, I, I know what time it is, and I'm going to run through these pretty quickly, and I'm going to say some things out of this text that are going to be harsh, that are probably going to hurt at times, but you've got to hear me up front. I'm going to say these out of love, okay? I love you. I love you as your pastor, and let's all answer the question that Scotty wrote on the board this morning in his class. Can we ever outgrow Jesus? Absolutely not. So let's come to this passage today as a faith family and say, what is it that I need to do in order to receive this word with gladness? Okay, so let's, let's look at this together. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word. And the reason that's so important, let me just stop right there, is that he's just said, receive the word, hear the word, listen to the word, okay? So now he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Um, I want to just quickly show you nine different things that I believe God has for us this morning. The first is this. If God has spoken, the proper response is obedience. If God has spoken, the proper response is obedience. Now, let me go ahead and tell you before I jump into this point, uh, I want you to take some notes this morning. I want you to be ready to write some things down. And and I want to encourage you to take these and discuss them with your family. Uh, I'm going to give you permission. You don't have to, but in your small group, your Sunday school class next week, if you want to take some time and discuss some of these, that's perfectly okay because I want there to be some application coming out of this. So be ready to write some things down this morning, okay? So, number one, if God has spoken, the proper response is obedience. The proper response is obedience. And look at the word there, doers. What are they being asked? What are we being asked, asked to do? Well, to be doers of the Word. Well, whose Word? Well, God's Word. Then who is it that's really asking us to do? It's not James. It's God. And when God speaks, when God gives commands, when God asks, the proper response is obedience. 
What's the proper response of a child to a parent? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Right? It's to do. It's to immediately go. What's the proper response of a soldier to a superior officer? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Right? And so it's to immediately obey. Why would we treat God with any less reverence? I, I, I see us sometimes saying to God in the middle of a sermon, Amen. I don't notice a whole lot of things going on out there. I don't notice when kids misbehave. You know, I, I really don't. Uh, I, people say, did, did that not bother you? It doesn't bother me. I don't even notice it. I do, though, hear amens. And maybe that says something about me. Maybe that's uh, I'm looking for affirmation and there's a deficiency in me and maybe that's sinful in me. I don't know. But I do hear those. But I think sometimes, not that I don't want you to say those amens, but I think sometimes it's easy for us to say amen vocally, but the harder thing is to say amen vocationally, right? It's easy to give a verbal amen. It's harder to give one that's lived out in your life. But the proper response, if God has spoken, is to say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me, I will go. Romans 2, verse 2 says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, for it is not the hearers of the law. This is verse 13. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. The proper response, if we believe this to be the word of God, is to obey. Secondly is this. Being a hearer of the word is not the problem. James here says, be a doer of the word. But he's not, he's not coming down on hearing. Sometimes those who don't necessarily like to read, how many of you like to read? Okay. How many of you say, I don't really care for reading? Um, yeah. Yeah. I used, to, I used to be in that camp, didn't like to read. I graduated high school, never read a book. Graduated college, never read a book. Then God got a hold of me. And put something in me that I didn't think I had. And when I went to seminary, found out I had a love for reading. It was a God-given ability. And, and sometimes those of us who, who are not necessarily just desirous of reading, we come to this passage, and, and they like this, this passage, and they say, yeah, that's right. We should be doers, not all that hearing stuff. We spend way too much time on that book learning, right? You know? and, and they think that James here is making this case for why we should just be practical and don't worry about hearing the Word of God. But the issue here, James is not calling hearing the issue. Look, look what he says. The, the word that I want you to pay attention to here is the word only. Only. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And James has just said in verses 19 through 21, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James is not anti-hear. James is anti-only here. You see the difference? 
We should be people that love the Word of God, that we should, we should want to hear it. We should want to read it. We should meditate on it and linger over the Word long. Psalms 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as, an, as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You say, well, Paul's talking to Timothy. He's, he's a pastor. That's not for the average churchgoer. Jesus said when he was tempted in the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. We should hear. Hearing's not the problem. But if all we do, church, if all we do is hear, that is a problem. If you're never walking out of this room saying, now how, do I, how do I put that into practice? If you never walk out of here challenged going, this is going to be tough. But if you're always just walking out of here saying, well, that was a great sermon. Where are we going for lunch? You must ask yourself, are you simply only a hearer? Number three, it's easy to be deceived. It's easy to be deceived. Look at the word here in verse 22, deceiving. We have lots of opportunities in our culture to hear the word of God, don't we? I mean, we have Bibles on our shelves. We have multiple copies of, of Bibles. This morning, not only do you have multiple if you go into my office, uh, there's an entire top shelf that's just filled with, with copies of, of Bibles. And some of you have that, you know, that many are more at your, on your shelf. Not only do we have that, you have devices where you can turn those things on, right? And you can, you can download for free. You don't even, it doesn't cost you anything. You can download for free Bibles in multiple translations on your phone or your tablet. We, we have multiple opportunities to hear and to read the Word of God. Not only that, but, but you, can, you can turn on your radio and you can find stations all day long that, that where, where the Word of God is preached. You can go to, on your computer and you can go to iTunes and you can find podcasts and you can subscribe to various pastors that you like to listen to, and you can listen to those. I do that on Mondays when I'm mowing the grass, have my iPod and, and my noise-canceling earbuds in my ears, and I'm listening to sermons. And, and I listen to those. We have multiple opportunities. But even if you don't do that and all you ever do is come to this service at 1030 on Sunday morning, in a year's time, you're going to hear 52 sermons from the Word of God. The danger, the temptation in a culture where hearing is abundant, the danger is to think that we're okay simply because we're listening. Now, this pains me. Some of you think, I think this brings him joy to talk about this. No, this pains me to think that there are people that come and sit in these very chairs week in and week out are deceived. You said, do you really think there are people in this room that are deceived? 
Yes, I do. I don't know who they are. I don't pretend to know who they are. But I think there are people among us who, with good intentions, have listened to sermons, but their life betrays them because they are hearers only and they're never doing. Let me tell you something. The easy thing to do, the comfortable thing to do, is to talk yourself out of the conviction of the Lord. When I begin to talk about this and, and talk about you need to examine your faith, are you really in the faith? Are you truly saved? And you begin to experience the conviction of the Lord that, that it's not showing up in your life and that all you've done is listen to sermons and, and show up and attend and it's, there's no fruit in your life. The easy thing for you to do is to say, no, that's not true. I'm, I'm really okay because I remember I can go back to that time when I walked that aisle and I met with the pastor and I prayed that prayer. And I can do that. I can go back and I can remember that couch that I sat on, sat on with, with Dr. Joe Wren, who was my pastor at the time uncomfortable as all get out. I can go back to that moment, but that moment doesn't mean that I'm okay with God. The easy and the comfortable thing for you to do is to talk yourself out of the conviction of God. In our fallen state, we have a tendency to want to rationalize rather than receive. Matthew chapter 7, I'm afraid, is going to be more true for more people than we really care to think about. Matthew 7, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You notice the language there, the one who does the will of my Father. Do we believe that salvation is something that can be earned? Absolutely not. And that's not what James is saying. Many have thought that's what James was saying, and it's caused them to toss out this book that's not what James is saying. What James is saying is that if you are truly a believer, if you are truly trusting Christ, then now your heart has been changed and you've been set free to now work and do from the position of being loved by God, not from the position of wanting to be loved by God. Listen to this. Jesus goes on in that same same section in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, and he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I want you to fast forward. I don't do this for the sake of trying to pad numbers. I don't care about any of that. But I want you to try to fast forward to the end of your life. When you come before God at the end of your life, do you have confidence to know that you're trusting in Christ alone and that you will stand there and have the foundation of your life be sure because it was on Christ? Or, or is there an inkling of a thought that you're trusting in your own foundation? Is there an inkling of fear that your life will come crashing down when you stand before God? Now listen, doubts are a normal thing. We all experience doubt from time to time. We all wrestle and struggle with our faith. So I'm not talking about this 
coming and going occasionally, wrestling and having a weakness of faith in a moment. But I'm talking about, is there a nagging, nagging fear when you hear the Word of God that you're not right? It's easy to be deceived. Number four, God's Word will show us what we're really like. God's Word will show us what we're really like. In verse 23, I want you to see the Word, look at the Word, mirror. There's a story of a a missionary uh, in the bush who um, had a little shaving mirror, and he would go out in the morning, he hung that mirror on the tree, and, uh, and he would hang that mirror there, and he would go out and he would shave in the mornings. And uh, a witch doctor uh, would come by, and, and she came by one day, and she saw that thing, and it spooked her, and it scared her. She wasn't used to seeing a mirror. No one had ever really seen this thing, and, and she was intrigued by it, and she saw herself in it, and it scared her. She saw her face painted up, and she jumped back. And she went to the missionary, and, and she tried to bargain with him for that mirror. Give me that mirror. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. The missionary resisted and thought, no, this is my mirror. I don't have another mirror. I need this mirror to shave. The witch doctor persisted. Finally, the missionary said, you know what? If it means that much to you, you can have it. They traded. The witch doctor immediately took the mirror and threw it on the ground and shattered it. And she said, now that thing will not make ugly faces at me anymore. That is a good picture of what the Bible does for us. When you and I come to the Word of God, we look into it, we see what God expects of us, what God is like, and we're forced to see ourselves in all of our shortcomings. We we see all of our faults. We see all of our pride. We see all of our weaknesses. We see all of our wickedness. And we can come to this, this Word of God and we can... Either do what the witch doctor did and we can throw it on the ground and try to, try to destroy it and, and walk away from it or we can avoid it altogether. And you know people in your life that are doing this, people that you work with, maybe people in this room, I don't know. But the Word of God shows us who we are and what we're really like. It shows us all of these things, but bless God, it also shows us the hope of the gospel. Number five is this. Hearing without doing is like seeing without adjusting. Hearing without doing is like seeing without adjusting. Look at the word forgets in verse 24. I used to think, uh, when I would come across this verse, I used to think, how in the world could anybody look at their face in a mirror and then forget what they look like? That didn't make any sense. Who, who does that? But what, what I didn't realize is you have to put yourself into the time, into the lives of those who he's writing to. James is here writing to a group of people who probably had never seen mirrors. Maybe, maybe once or twice or three times in their lifetime, mirrors were really for wealthy people. They couldn't, the, the average person couldn't afford a mirror. And even then, those mirrors that the wealthy people had were, were not very good. They were polished brass or silver. And, and you really couldn't get a real clear image like you and I can. But imagine living in a culture where maybe in your lifetime you might get to see yourself in a mirror three, four times. 
You come before that mirror once and you see yourself and you're kind of taken back because you don't have the knowledge of your face like we do in our culture today, right? I mean, we have mirrors everywhere. Some of you have a mirror with you right now, right? I'm hope, I hope that's just the women in the room. You know, if, if guys you're carrying a mirror, I don't know about you. But anyway, um, uh, we have mirrors everywhere. You have cameras on your phones. These cameras on your phones, no longer do they just take pictures outwardly, right? But you can flip the screen, and now you can see yourself, and you can take that optimal selfie, right, to post somewhere, right? Get your hair just right. But look... You come to a mirror in this culture and you see yourself for the first time and it's shocking, it's surprising. And you see yourself and you're fairly young and you study your face and make faces at yourself in the mirror and you walk away. Maybe 10, 15 years go by, you get another opportunity. You come across another mirror, you see yourself and you look in and this time the image has changed, right? There's lines on my face. Those weren't there before. How'd, how'd those get there, you know? There's less hair than I used to have. Look a little rougher, you know, than I used to remember. You walk away from that mirror, several years go by again, and you come back to that mirror and you look at it again, and you don't recognize the person that's in that mirror, right? This time there's maybe no hair or things have changed drastically. This is who James is writing to. James is writing to them saying, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror and goes away and forgets what he sees. He's writing to them knowing that that if you get an opportunity to look into a mirror, when you're only going to see a mirror three, four times in your life, you better study what you see there. You better take it in because what it's going to show you, some things need to be corrected, right? And so you better study those things so that when you walk away, you can make those needed corrections. Now, we don't live in that culture where we only get to see our mirror every now and then. We see mirrors every single day. Most of you this morning got up, hopefully all of us got up this morning, and looked at a mirror before we left the house, right? You go to, you go to the mirror, and, and you look into it, and, and you see, yeah, okay, I'm good, right? Or maybe you go to a mirror, and, and you go, ooh, <laughs> guess I should get that out, you know, and you pull that thing out of your tooth, right? Imagine, imagine that if we fast forward this to our culture, you stand in front of a mirror one last time before you head out the door and you realize looking in the mirror that you have misaligned the buttons on your shirt. And you think, but I'm, I'm late, I'll, I'll fix it in the car. And you run and you grab your keys and you get in the car and you get in the car and, and, uh, and the phone rings and you take this call and you get busy with this and, and, and then traffic's bad and you get, get to work and you walk in and somebody says, um, did you uh, miss something there? We can certainly understand even in today's culture how you can look into a mirror and forget what you look like. Let me tell you something. Hearing without doing is like seeing without adjusting. Some of us come to this place every week. You come in here and you open your copy of God's Word with me and we look at this together and you see some things that are not right and you know that the things are not right and you know some adjustments need to be made and you say to yourself, I'm going to work on that this week. And I'm not talking about things that need to be changed and are necessary for your salvation. We can't earn that salvation. I'm talking about as a believer, there's just some things that you need to work on. You say, I really do need to hide the Word of God in my heart. I need need to do that. 
I need, I need to work on memorizing Scripture. Or you, you hear last week, be slow to anger, and you say, man, I, that's really, that's, I need to work on that. And you say, I'm going I'm to work on that this week. And then you walk out of this place, and you forget. And you do nothing with it. Imagine if you got up this morning and, and you just got out of bed, went to the mirror and looked at your hair is what if you have hair and it's all, you know, funky and it's off this way. And and, you know, you're a, you got a little bit of dried you know, stuff from where you were laying on the pillow and it's kind of running down. It's dried on, on your cheek. And you look in the mirror and you say, I'm good. And you get in the car and you come to church. You would never dream of that, would you? then why do we do it with the Word of God? Why? Why do we do it here? Six is this. I I, I promise I'm I'm hurrying through these. Six, God's Word is perfect. God's Word is perfect. Look at the word there, perfect, in verse 25. Sometimes we sit through sermons or we read God's Word or we hear something from God's Word in a, in a Sunday school class or something, and we, we tell ourselves, well, that can't be. I mean, yeah, I know that kind of sounds like that's, you know, describing me, but mm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's right. We tell ourselves that, that what we see there about ourselves as we look into the mirror of God's Word is not really accurate. But here, James points out to them that the Word of God is perfect, that we can trust it, that we can lean on it, that we don't have to come before the Word of God and say, yeah, but, you know, that must have been for another time and another culture. We come to this and we realize that this is the Word of God. And God's Word will stand forever, and therefore I can trust this perfect Word. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, the righteous, and righteous altogether. I wonder sometimes as I preach to you, I'm thankful to preach to a congregation that loves the Word of God. I'm thankful that I can preach to you fairly long sermons. Now, some of you say fairly. (laughs) You know, I, I can take you to some pastors that preach long sermons. I'm preaching a fairly long sermon, okay? Um, but I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that, that you receive the Word with gladness. I think I'm thankful for that. If you don't, then I don't know about it, but, but I'm thankful that I get to preach to you. But I, I think there are maybe some in the congregation that are skeptical and doubting and wondering, is this really what it says? Is this really, can I trust this? God's Word is perfect. Number seven is this. God's Word will set us free. God's word will set us free. Look at the word liberty in verse 25. Lots of people come to the word of God, and and I'm thankful that I I don't think there's a lot of this going on either. I told you I was going to say some harsh things to you, but I don't think there's a lot of this, but certainly there is some. 
People come to the Word of God and they think, you know what, though, if I really do what the Bible calls me to do as a believer, man, it's going to really limit me. It's going to put some restrictions on me that I don't really want. It's going to really tie me up. It's going to be a burden to me. If I really try to to live according to God's Word, it's not going to be freeing at all. In fact, it's going to be enslaving. It's going to cause some change in my life. To which I would say, you're right, it is going to cause some change in your life. But what you're going to find out is those changes are not enslaving. You will find that those changes are liberating. God here says through James that it is the perfect law of liberty. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. When Peter spoke of false teachers and, and what those false teachers were teaching, because we want to say maybe the, the Word of God would be enslaving to us, and so we look to others that would maybe teach less than the Word of God. And there's some teachers that are popular who have TV programs and everything else, but they're not preaching the Word of God. They're false teachers. Peter says about them, these are waterless springs. If I'm thirsty... I don't want a waterless spring. Do you? He says, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For, for them, the, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom that they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Number eight is this. I realize we're going through these in in rapid succession, but just hear me out. Number eight, being a doer of the word takes real and ongoing effort. Being a doer of the word takes real and ongoing effort. I want you to see the words in verse 25, perseveres and the word acts. John MacArthur in his commentary on this book says, most Jews of Jesus' day regularly heard the law and the prophets read and expounded in their synagogues, but they were content only with that hearing and with superficial compliance and had no real desire to fully obey these words. John MacArthur there describing the average mindset of the Jew sitting in the synagogue listening to the word of God read and expounded. And I, when I read that, I thought, Are we any different today? Does the average church member come into the worship service ready to hear the word of God, thus saith the Lord, ready to take it and then apply it? Or are we content to celebrate the hearing of it with nothing really, it's not going to cost me really anything I can come for an hour and a half and I can sit through a service and I can hear it. And man, it's at times moving. At times it's boring. At times it's entertaining. At times I want to say amen. At times it hurts. But the average church member, I think, and I'm not saying the average church member out there. Let me just be real gut level honest with you. I think the average church member here has no real 
game plan, no real desire to take it and apply it. And maybe I'm wrong. I pray that I'm wrong. I pray that I'm wrong. But ask yourself, when you come in this place, are you coming to hear the Word of God so that you might do the Word of God? Or have we been content in the Southern Baptist Convention to be people of the book without ever doing the book? Number nine, the blessing is in the doing. The blessing is in the doing. Look at the word in. Two little word in. The blessing is in the doing. He will be blessed in his doing. You ever gone out to eat and had way too much food than you could ever eat at one sitting and, and you asked the waiter uh, or the waitress, hey, can I get a to-go box? Sure, I'll take care of that for you. Let me bring that to you. I'll, I'll box that up for you. They write your name on it or whatever they do, you know, write something cute or draw something on it or whatever, and they sit it there in front of you. And, and you sit with your, your guests that you're with there at the table for a little longer, and you talk and you laugh, and you pay the bill, and then you get up and you walk out and you get to the car and you drive home, and then you see your refrigerator and you think, what did I do with the box? I left the box on the table. Ever done that? I think for so many of us, we're leaving the box on the table. The blessings in the doing. And we, we come and we hear the sermon, and we think that in that we're blessed, and in some ways we are. The, simply the hearing of the Word of God is a blessing. Aren't you glad to be able to come and sit and worship in freedom this morning where we don't worry about anyone coming in telling us that we can't do this? Certainly there is a blessing in hearing, but there is also a blessing here described for us in the doing. John chapter 13, verse 17, Jesus said, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He doesn't end with, if you know these things, blessed are you. He goes on to say, blessed are you if you do them. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you, you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. There's blessing not only in the hearing and the meditating on it, but there's blessing in the doing of it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. It's not enough simply to hear, to read aloud, to hear. But we're instructed to keep. That's at the first of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. If you go all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, to chapter 22, verse 7, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Church, I hope you hear this theme today. I'm so glad that we are a hearing church. But I am concerned that we are lacking in the doing. 
Mark Driscoll, in, uh, in a sermon he preached from this text, uh, used this illustration, and I'm pretty sure he adapted this illustration from Charles Swindoll, uh, from a book that Chuck Swindoll wrote. But uh, this is what um, Mark Driscoll writes. He says, imagine a dad who gets up early in the morning before the kids go to school, and he realizes, man, that the garbage cans in the house are all full. Trash in the kitchen is overflowing, so he goes outside and he, and he, got, he sees that the garbage can out on the curb or, or out next to the, the garage is full as well. He says, oh, it's, it's trash pickup day. He says, I need my kids to, to take the garbage out for me. So he goes back in the house and, and he writes this letter to his kids. He starts in this way. He starts with writing, I love you. You kids know I love you. You're the best kids in the world. I wouldn't trade you for anybody. Remember, I gave you ice cream for dessert last night, and, and I'll give you a hug when I get home. He starts with the good things. He starts with a lot of love before he gets into the do and the don't. And he continues his letter, and he says, It's trash pickup day. The house stinks. It's a total wreck. And and I I need you kids to take all all the trash out of the bins in the house and take them out to the large, the big garbage can and drag it out to the curb because the the truck's going to come today and they're going to pick up the garbage. And I need you to do this before you go to school so that they will pick up the garbage today. I really need you to do this before you go to school. Love, Dad. When kids get up, they read the letter, they go to school, they come home. Dad comes home from work. There's no garbage can out by the curb. He drives up. The garbage can is overflowing. He goes in the house. Trash is everywhere. Nobody cleaned out a garbage can. He says, all right, family meeting. Hey, kids, sit sit down on the couch. we got to talk about this. Did did you kids get my letter this morning, Dad asks. Yeah, yeah, we we did, Dad. It was was amazing. I mean, the the prose was fantastic. Uh, the, the imagery was astounding, and the punctuation was perfect, and all the verbs were in the right tense. Dad, you're a good writer. And we really got the heart behind the letter because you were so loving toward us. So, yeah, Dad, we, we took it very seriously. We skipped school. We, we spent the whole day studying the letter, Dad. We, we never really thought about trash like this. We started researching how other nations dispose of their trash, and it got us into other fields of study. We started looking at carbon footprint, and, and, and we started looking at recycling. It really got us thinking about how we could study trash, taking out in a gospel-centered way. So actually, Dad, we, we brought some friends over. We spent the whole day going through the Scriptures, examining the issue of trash because we, frankly, had overlooked it until recently. And what we found is that this is a theme in the whole Bible, Dad. We found that in the Old Testament, they would take their trash outside of the city. And that trash was like symbolic of sin, and it it needs to be away from us. Dad, we learned that, that they would take it to a place called Gehenna. And they would set it on fire to burn it, and that, that this was imagery for, for hell. That was amazing, Dad. We we didn't know this before. And then, Dad, we, we looked at the New Testament, and first we did Old Testament Hebrew word studies on trash, and then we did New Testament Greek word studies on trash, and, Dad, with, with all of our friends. We had, we had a small group, Dad, and we found that the language of trash is used in the New Testament. Like, did, did you know that in Philippians, Paul says that, that all religion is like trash? And that was shocking to us, so we, we started a website, and we've actually launched a ministry, Dad, where we're trying to educate people about the theology of trash. 
Dad had one question. Did you take out the trash? Church, I've got one question for us. Are we taking out the trash? Let's pray. Lord, we come to a passage like this, and God, in some ways, it's so easy to celebrate because so many of us are are practical people. But God, then we look at it, and God, it's so easy to run away from because as practical as we think we are, most of our practicality is spent on us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would take this text, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. God, I pray that you would take this text and, God, that you would move us as a, as a church, God, out of complacency. God, that we would not shrink back from hearing. God, that you would make us people who love your word. But, God, that we would be people that demonstrate our love by the doing of your word. God, I I pray, Lord, that as I was faithful to, to your word today, God, that you would take those words and, God, that you would penetrate deep into the thoughts and hearts of those who are here. God, I pray that you would take words where I maybe was unfaithful to your word and, God, that you would, Lord, don't let those have lasting impact. I don't want to unnecessarily hurt anyone today. I don't want to unnecessarily cause confusion or doubt in anyone today. But God, I pray, Lord, that you would touch where you need to touch. God, that you would use the scalpel of your word and perform surgery today. Lord, make us healthy. Make us doers and not hearers only. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just encourage you today to take some time. I don't know, I don't know how you respond to this right now. Uh, hopefully you've taken notes and, and you can look back over these things. Maybe there's no great response. There's no great outpouring of response in this moment. Maybe, maybe that, that response takes place as we leave here. I don't know. But... I know that you know if God has spoken to you today. In fact, he's spoken to all of us. You've heard his word. It's his word. So what are you going to do with it? Whatever it requires, do it. Sometimes the doing of it will not be easy. Sure, Jesus said, come to me. My burden is is easy. My my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Sure, Jesus said that, but that doesn't mean that everything in life is going to come easy. There's a freedom that comes with knowing Christ. There's a joy that comes with knowing Christ. There's hope that comes. But it doesn't mean that we sit back and just let life pass us by and live the American dream with a great retirement plan. Be doers of the word. Whatever that looks like, do it. 
I'll be here at the front. If you need to talk with me, pray with me. I'd love to help you out. Today, if you're here and you're not a believer and you'd say, boy, I, I, I need to get this right. I'd love to talk with you. Whatever it is, do it. Let's be doers of the word. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.